Now, as I've prepared for this lesson, uh, I've done an awful lot of sermons. If you calculate years of preaching times 52, and then twice a week is 104 a year. And, and I think this is the hardest text I've ever encountered. Uh, this is a challenging, challenging text. And so a couple of things as I begin with that. Uh, first of all, I'm glad to be able to have the Wednesday night available that the questions you have by the time we get done with this that you can bring uh, to class Wednesday night for either what we did this morning in regards to the Lord's Supper or what we cover tonight in regards to the head covering. I can just go ahead and answer your questions. I will I will do no uh, wasting of time in setting up. I'll just be like, okay, questions go. We only have an hour. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> so we will go through it with, with, with that as well. And I also state the difficulty of it be, just to, it, to point out that though uh, I feel very confident and comfortable in the answer I'm giving you in regards to this text, it does not mean that that was by any means easy, nor that there's not a a tremendous amount of controversy and question that comes about this text. Uh, But I hope that by the end of this, we'll observe that this text is uh, more relevant than I believe we may recognize. And the things that are being taught in here uh, are critically important to our culture today, uh, just as much as it was to the culture there in the first century there in the city of Corinth. And so we're going to spend our time looking at, let's just read the text to begin, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then we will uh, get into the lesson and we'll start talking about its meaning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 is where we'll begin. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaved. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is in the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. I have no idea why that's so hard for people. You know? <laughs> wow, that's a tough, a tough text. So let's let's get into uh, what we see here. We mentioned this morning as we did the second half of this chapter that verse two uh, is the thesis of this chapter. That here is Paul commending these Corinthians that they are doing a number of things right. However, there are a couple of issues that are problematic. The Lord's Supper is one of them, which we spoke about this morning. The other here is in regards to the creator 
played role. And one of the things that I think it is really important to observe in in this text is to be able to see what this is primarily about. You notice verse 3 is where this all begins when he says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife or woman. Greek word is the same. Context determines if it's a wife or a woman. Context depends if it's a man or a husband. So that's why you may have a verse or a translation that says woman. The head of every wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Notice that's where he begins. And he's not just saying that for the fun of it. You'll notice he returns to that repeatedly in this paragraph. Then jumping down to verse 7, a man not to uh, cover his head, since he's in the image and the glory of God and the woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Notice again this creation order is established in the middle of this discussion. And then again at the end in verse 11, he does it again. In the Lord, woman's not independent of man nor man of woman for his woman was made from man so man is now born of woman and all things are from God it's important to start there rather than starting at verse 4 which is where we typically want to run to and, and, and observe what we have going on in the context because it would be absolutely impossible for us to make a proper application to ourselves until we are able to understand what the meaning is of the passage to the original audience. And so while it's fun to dive bomb into verse 4 and verse 5 about the covering, you cannot miss what the foundation is before he gets into this. He's talking about this problem in regards to the ordained roles that are given. And he knows the description that's given there and about that. That there is God, there is Christ, there is man, there is woman. This is the created order that is given by God. And what Paul is already setting up as he opens this is, This is the ordained roles. This is the created order. And that's what we have to accept. That's how he's beginning with these Corinthians. This is the way God made it. This is the way God intended it. And so it doesn't matter, dear Corinthians, all of your think-sos about roles and rights and things like that. This is the order that God has given. Now, I think it's important to observe it this because especially in our culture today, we have to spend five minutes talking about this. This kind of order that God made has absolutely nothing to do with equality. And I think we should see that immediately from the text. You'll notice that it makes the point that he says there that Christ is distinct in his role and submits to the Father. That's what he gives there in verse 3. The head of Christ is God. Does that in any way indicate that Christ is inferior to God the Father? No. Is he lesser in any way? No. Is he unequal somehow? No. He is equal to the Father in every way, as glorious, as deserving of honor, just as valuable as the Father. Just because there is a distinction in role, and just because a person chooses to submit to another, does not change their value or equality. And it's a shame that we seem to not understand that anymore in, in our society. In our society, if you yield to somebody, that must mean you're inferior. Uh, so that's probably why we all crash our cars at yield size. And I'm not going to be inferior to you, and nobody wants to yield. And, and for us, we need to recognize submission does not mean you are inferior, does not mean you are lesser, does not mean anything like that. 
It is simply what we see with Christ. He chooses to do that. In the same way, in regards to men and women, the point that the Scriptures make is that, yes, we are different. And yes, we have different roles, but that means we're, doesn't mean that we're not equal. We are still equal. And this is a, a, an important factor that, that the Apostle Paul is, is spending here with these Corinthians and dealing with this culture. And it's important to lay that out because we live in a time where this idea is completely under attack by our culture. The idea that there is a distinction between men and women is completely under attack. The idea that there would be any kind of differences whatsoever, though we know them to be obvious, is completely under attack. And that to especially put under attack a distinction in roles that God gave to men and women is very much under attack. And so this text does become very relevant as the Apostle Paul navigates through this as he sets up this principle about gender roles and about gender distinction. That's at the heart of what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And I'll make mention a couple of times, it will do us no good to come to this text and go, well, it's just a cultural issue and so this is completely irrelevant. That is not fair to the text to do that. That is simply not fair. Because the principle that's given there in verse 3 reaches all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and talking about the creation order that that's been given. And so I think that's important for us to lay out. And with that context in mind, we're going to have to navigate these verses and consider what does his discussion about men and women praying and prophesying with heads covered and uncovered have anything to do with gender roles, gender distinction, and the created order? That is the big question of the night. Because that's what this paragraph is dealing with, is it sets up that foundation. And then we have to then go through this paragraph and determine, now why is this part of that issue? What is going on in Corinth that is dealing with this in such a way that is a violation of this created order? That Paul three times has to reestablish it in the paragraph and say, you understand the roles and the distinction and, and what God set as the created order. That's what he spends his time working on here. Now... Let's go ahead and start moving through this. Particularly, let's begin uh, with verses 4 four through 6. And there are a number of things that are really important to observe in what the Apostle Paul says here as he gives these directions about what is going on in Corinth and the problems that exist there. Notice the situation that the Apostle Paul now presents. First, he lays a foundation. Here's the way God made things. It's the Father, it's the Son, it's man, it's woman. That's the created order. They have distinct roles. That's the design. That's where he starts in verse 3. That's just the, that's where we're working off of. Now, what's the issue? Verse 4 now begins with what the issue is. Every man who or every woman who prays and prophesies. And we need to underline that that's what that says. Because this verse gets used... For all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of scenarios that the Apostle Paul doesn't state right here. What is he concerned about regarding men and women and when they're supposed to be covered and uncovered? When? When they're praying or when they're prophesying. That's it. That's what it says. 
doesn't say anything else. (laughs) Those are the two situations upon which that he's talking about. It's important that we zero in on that and not miss that. That's caused an awful lot of misunderstanding about this paragraph because we miss this is the point that he's talking about. It's important to observe in that when he says prophecy, that's a miraculous spiritual gift. That is unavoidable. That is a miraculous spiritual gift. There's no way he's not talking about miraculous spiritual gifts when he speaks about men and women who are prophesying. Prophecy was a miraculous gift that was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands. And you might read that and think, well, wait a minute, did women prophesy? They absolutely did. The book of Acts reveals that, like in Acts 21 and verse 9. Here are these seven daughters who are able to prophesy. You know, prophecy was equally given among Christian men and Christian women. So We should have no issue in seeing this point being made about men and women using miraculous spiritual gift of prophecy. That is what he's talking about in this. When it comes to prayer, sometimes a distinction is made in that. And I want to observe that in prayer, it could be miraculous spiritual gift or it may not be. Uh, And I'll show you that in just a minute. We may just be talking about prayer in general, but we do see that there is this praying with a miraculous spiritual gift. I'll read over there 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 through 16, which alludes to it there. Here is the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's dealing with the problem of of them speaking in tongues, and they've elevated that above all the other gifts. He says, Therefore, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, that's an important line right there. That's the offering of prayer in the Spirit only. How then who is the one who fills the place of the ungifted say, Amen, at the giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying. Notice there's the ability to use a gift of prayer with your tongue upon which he's saying that people in the audience have no idea what you're saying if you do that. And the point I'm just trying to show you is there's the possibility here that he is talking about miraculous spiritual gifts in regards to the use of prayer as well. Ultimately, that is neither here nor there to the conclusion that we will draw. But I want to bring it out to you so that you will see that it's not just simply, well, it could just be any old prayer. Not necessarily. Because it seems a little bit unusual to zero in on something that is clearly a miraculous spiritual gift prophecy. And then pick something that would be common, prayer, that everybody does, and tie all of this discussion to that. It seems far more likely to me that these two things are both miraculous spiritual gifts that he's talking about. To me, that's logical. Otherwise, these two things are pretty much completely unrelated. And that doesn't make an awful lot of sense. So I submit to you the likelihood that it is the miraculous spiritual gift of prayer, but is not important to the interpretation by which we're going to go by. Here's the thing that I think is also really important for us to consider as we, we push forward, push forward in, in this discussion and in thinking about the, these things is we need to also consider that this instruction was given not about listening, but performing the task. When he says every woman who prays or prophesies, is he talking about the people who are listening to the prophecy? No. 
He's talking about the person who's prophesying. The person who prophesies, the man who prophesies, he better have his head uncovered. When the woman prophesies, she should have her head covered. It's not talking about an audience of people who are listening. It is talking about the individual who is speaking. In the same way, when it speaks of men and women who are praying, you are talking about the person who is leading the prayer, who is offering the prayer. That when he prays, he better have his head uncovered. When she prays, she ought to have her head covered. So it's important to observe that as well in the discussion that's before us, that he's not just speaking generally, but when you say a man prophesies, what are you saying? The person listening? No, that's not how you read that. That means you're the one performing it. You're the one doing it. Just as you see in 1 Corinthians 14, where he talks about the person who has prophecy, the person who has tongue speaking, the person who has all of these gifts. What are we talking about? The person who performs it, the person who's practicing the gift, not the person who hears it. The reason why these things all set up very to be a very important thing, and this is something that is greatly missed, and really changes our understanding of the text, is that this text cannot be referring to prayer and prophecy in the assembly. It absolutely, positively cannot be referring to prayer and prophecy in the assembly. And you say, now why is that? Why would that possibly be the case? You know, so many books I pick up. Here's, they're trying to set order in the assembly. Because do you remember what the Apostle Paul says three chapters later in this very book? Over in chapter 14, you'll remember the Apostle Paul gives directions about how you use your miraculous spiritual gifts. And you remember when he comes to the women, what does he say they must do in regards to their miraculous spiritual gift? They're not allowed to use it. There is no way here in chapter 11 that the Apostle Paul is directing the women and saying, now when you are in the assembly and you are using your gift of prophecy, make sure your head is covered. And then three chapters later say, but when you're in the church, be sure you don't use your gift at all. You must remain silent in the church as far as she's not permitted to speak. It doesn't work. This cannot be talking about the assembly, for if it is, then the Apostle Paul gave contradictory directions and commands. He must be referring to the praying and prophesying in public outside of the assembly. He has to be. It can't be in the assembly because he will be very specific about what women are supposed to do with those miraculous spiritual gifts, even prophecy itself. They're supposed to remain silent and not use those gifts. I did a lesson on that a long time back. You can go look that up online in chapter 14 about dealing with that section there. But ultimately, the problem was of usurping authority, taking the lead. That's all laid out in 1 Timothy 2 as well as 1 Corinthians 14. So he can't be talking about the assembly. Friends, that's very big to understanding what's going on here. It's everything to understand what's what's going on here. He cannot be talking about the situation where we are in a gathering of the assembly. It must be then in regards to the public. Now, I'm going to ask this question a few times, so don't don't be worried if you don't catch it the first time, because I'm going to keep layering, hope you got your nap in, I'm going to keep layering ideas here (laughs) so that you can get to this idea of, okay, what are we trying to bring together? And this ultimately then is what we're trying to bring together. What about men praying and prophesying in public with their head covered and women praying and prophesying in public with their head uncovered? is violating God's created order. That's ultimately the merging of verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5. 
Because that's what he's laid out. Something the Corinthians are doing in regards to praying and prophesying with head covered or uncovered is a violation of the created order and the gender distinction, the gender roles that God has given to men and women. And so our big question when we study the text, and I'm kind of giving you, here's, uh, here's how I study the scriptures. This is what you do. You take these verses and you ask yourself a question. What do those things have to do with each other? What, what are we talking about here? And one of the things that you may observe in the reading, and I, and I encouraged you for over a week now to read this again and again and again, is hopefully you observed how often the Apostle Paul is making arguments from culture. He does it quite a few times, and I'll show you that that he does. Not only does he do it in verse 4, he says that for a man to have his head covered is dishonorable. And then in verse 14, to have long hair is disgraceful. And you might raise your hand and make the argument, well, how do you know that's culture? Maybe that's God's universal law. That is, if a man has his head covered, that's always to be understood as dishonorable. Or if he has long hair, that is always to be understood as God's universal law as to be a disgrace. And I've heard some people say that. Here's how we know that's not the case. That's, we're talking about culture and not universal law. Think about how many places where we see that in the scriptures where men had head covered or had long hair. Samson's notorious for that. He has long hair. He's considered one of God's righteous men, according to the book of Hebrews, who who did the work of God as a judge over Israel. How about Absalom? The reason he dies is because he's got such long hair that as he's riding along, his hair gets caught in a tree branch and he's left hanging there. How about the Nazarite vow where God's very command was if you took the vow, you weren't to cut your hair till the vow was over. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament keeps that vow and doesn't cut his head until his Nazarite vow is completed. And to talk about the head being covered, God gave direct command to Aaron as high priest as he worshipped before God and performed all the various aspects of worship. He had a turban on his head where his head was covered. The point being... These statements that the Apostle Paul makes about it's disgraceful to men to have long hair or it's dishonorable for them to have their head covered are arguments from culture. That's what he's arguing toward them because we see examples of the opposite in the scriptures themselves as approved by God, like the Nazarite vow and like Aaron with the turban. In the same way, we can see that in regards to the arguments of culture for the women where where God says there or the Apostle Paul says, By the Holy Spirit, it's dishonorable to have the head uncovered, disgraceful uh, to have her head head shaved. Same thing. This is not a universal law, but again, an argument in regards to culture. And to say, to have your head uncovered, ladies, is what he's telling these Corinthians, is as shameful as having a shaved head. That's what he's trying to connect up to them. You know that having a shaved head would be dishonorable. It's even somewhat dishonorable even in our society. We're not probably to the degree of what it was in the first century. But even still, there we have a little bit of, of that feel even today. And so in that culture, he's telling them, 
That's what it means for you to have your head uncovered, is that it's the same as if your head was shaved. It was the same as if you were to have short hair. And so it's important to see that those are arguments from culture that he's making. Now, let me step on the button again. Don't dismiss Paul's argument as merely cultural. It's not what we're doing. But I'm wanting you to see the way he presents the argument is to present it from culture. He's saying what you're doing is like if you would do this in society. Women, for you to have your head uh, uncovered while you pray and prophesy is as dishonorable and as disgraceful as if your head were to be shaved or to be cut short. That's the, the, the art line of argument he's using there. That's what I want you to see. He's just simply arguing from culture to try to communicate to them, you should have a sense of that. You should have an awareness of that. That that's the kind of dishonor that it causes. In the same way, he's saying for a man to have his head covered while praying and prophesying is as dishonorable to you and should be as disgraceful to you as if you had long hair. Again, he's using a cultural argument to make the point of why you wouldn't have your head covered or why you would have your head uncovered. Now, a little bit of cultural information in in regards to this to, to help out with this. This has been one of the long, hard things to try to understand the Corinthian culture. And I don't know that we'll ever understand the Corinthian culture because one of the things that's fascinating about Corinth is it was truly a melting pot. You had Jews in Corinth, you had Romans in Corinth, you had Greeks in Corinth. And that's probably why you have so many problems in Corinth is because you have three different cultures of people who are becoming Christians and now they're under one roof trying to serve God and they're bringing in all of their religious baggage and cultural baggage together and trying to meld together and it's causing a lot of problems. And so it's important as as a general basis. I I think a lot of false arguments have been made about what the covering was and what its purpose was in the first century. A lot of that has been uh, found to be false. So I think I'm just going to walk on safe ground of what we truly know by evidence, by archaeology, by paintings, things like that, that we know of the way things were. Generally speaking, this is not an absolute But generally speaking, men's heads were typically uncovered in public and typically women's heads were covered in public. Not an absolute rule. You'll find men with head covered in public. You can find a bust of Augustus Caesar with his head covered. It's not totally out of the range of possibility. But generally speaking, this is the way it was. In particular, for Jewish women and Roman women, they typically would have their heads covered when they were praying and when they went about in public. When they would go out, they left the home. Typically, Roman women as well as Jewish women would put some kind of covering over their head. That wasn't particularly true of the Greek women. Again, that's why you have such a collision of trying to figure out the culture then because Greek women, that's not the case necessarily. They were a a bit different in that. But what we do learn about the Greek women is that there is a lot of evidence that when they would do is when they went to their pagan religious observances, they would uncover their heads for that observance. So that's just giving you cultural data is all that is. That's that's what we know based upon what we have found. Studies have been done, pictures that we have, that this seems to be the general rule, not the absolute, of the way things are. So again, I'm going to come back to this question again. What does a woman's head being uncovered in public while praying and prophesying have to do with violating gender roles in the created order that God gave? You can go home and think about this for a really long time because I spent a long time thinking about it. It gave me a headache. And 
here's what I think is the logical conclusion in putting these concepts together. And I think we'll see that, that provide, this will provide answers to a lot of these verses that are somewhat convoluted and I think questionable that we try to understand. What it appears that we have happening is that the logical conclusion would be that Christian women, what they were doing is seeing their new freedom in Christ, this new authority that they are able to have, or they're using their miraculous spiritual gifts like prophecy as a way to cast off the gender roles that God had ordained. They're unwilling to function in the roles that God gave as well as this culture that was set for them by their apparel. That typically what you were supposed to do is see, as we just discussed, women would go out and they would have their head covered. And yet in their authority to be able to prophesy, they're saying what we are able to do is cast off the norms of culture that were given to us that distinguished us as men and women and the roles that we had. And so therefore I'm going to do this prophecy in that way brazenly against what culture says is appropriate or right which that's the way paul is arguing don't you see how inappropriate that is that's what is wrong for you to do it would be like having a shaved head or to the men it would be like having long hair he's trying to drive in the idea of appropriateness don't you recognize that that violates everything about your culture and the created order that you are to maintain yourself in and so notice that's the idea of what verse 10 is? I think that's the best answer to verse 10. Verse 10 is always the hardest one, right? Verse 10, that's why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of angels. (laughs) Read that and go, okay, what are we talking about there? What is the one thing that we know about the condemnation of angels? They did not keep their proper place, Right? That's the one big thing we're ever really told about them. Is this was Jude, Jude says it, Jude 6. Uh, and the angels who did not stay within their position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. The condemnation that we have of angels is they did not maintain their proper place under the authority of God. And this is what he's talking about is understand your covering as a symbol of authority on your head. This is God has given you the right to prophesy in public, to use your miraculous spiritual gift in public. So I think then the way to understand the primary message that the Apostle Paul is getting at here, and we'll kind of work through some of the details here, is that even with the authority that is given to us by God, we are called upon to operate in our culture in a way that preserves gender distinction and God's created order for the roles of men and women. That seems to be everything that's at stake here to Corinth. What they were doing in the way that they were praying and prophesying was breaking through the culture in a way that showed that they were casting off this gender distinction and gender roles of what men and women were supposed to be doing in that society. They said, hey, we're Christians, and so I'll just do whatever I want to do. And so women, we're going to be uncovered. Men, we're going to be, it doesn't matter. And here's the Apostle Paul going, you can't do that. You're supposed to be representing the gender roles and gender distinction and created authority that God has given you and how that is to be shown in that society, within that realm. 
That's the only way I can understand how three, verse 3 works with verses 4 and 5 is you are dealing with a society in which these people are saying we are going to disregard what the norm is of our culture because we're Christians and we have the right to do it. And he's saying you can't do that. What we are supposed to do is show then, and I think this is what the Apostle Paul is arguing, she has the authority to pray and prophesy. Do not mistake verse 10. Symbol of authority, not symbol of subjection. That word means authority. It means power. It does not mean subjection. She has authority to do what she's doing. God gave that to her. She's allowed to prophesy. She's allowed to use those gifts. But in the process, you're not allowed to overthrow the created order that God gave. In the process, you're not allowed to eliminate your role that God gave you as a woman in Christ or as a man in Christ. And I believe that's the thrust of the argument that's being made here is she's not supposed to set herself up like a man in the way that she was dressing or he wasn't supposed to set himself up like a woman in the way that she that he was dressing. That seems to be the issue that's at stake here. Why are you doing those things? Why would you behave in that way? Why are you covered and uncovered in regards to your head? Because you're violating what was this distinguishing aspect of that culture. And I want us to recognize that shouldn't be that hard for us to see that there are many things that God gives to us as commands that operate within the bounds of a culture. For example, 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. Here's this command. I command men everywhere to lift, uh, to lift up holy hands when praying. Alright, so every time you pray, why aren't you lifting up your holy hands every time? If you ever pray... Arms in the air. Because we recognize there's a cultural aspect to that. We're understanding that what's being said here is the meaning of that is is that this is picturing a a picture before God of my hands are are clean. I use the example for you. If you ever ask your, go out to your child and your child comes up to you with their hands behind their back, you know something's wrong. What's what's what you got? What, what's behind? What's in your hands? You know, you're trying to hide something. The whole picture is: I'm not hiding anything before you. I'm lifting up clean, holy hands before God. There's always these ideas in the feathers found in the scriptures of the concepts of using culture to communicate these ideas before God. Romans sixteen sixteen. The command is given: to greet one another with a kiss. None of you did that to me tonight. Really upset about that. I don't know what's the matter with you. Why not? So we understand the concept of culture behind the command. Then we understand that was the common greeting that you would do. It's like if we lived in Italy. Okay, it's more of that common greeting of what you would do. It's not how we greet one another here. We understand what's the command. You're to be friendly and greet one another. To us, we'd use it in have a handshake or a hug. We understand in our culture, here's what that command looks like. That's why I make the point. We can't just dismiss it and say, well, it's cultural. No, there is a teaching that's there. We have to move through the culture and go, here's what God wanted as the principle. What did God want in the principle in terms of lifting up holy hands? He wanted you to be clean and presentable before God. Not that there was the physical posture. What did God want in regards to green with another with a holy kiss? Make sure you... you no. But make sure you're greeting one another, that there is that kind of family bond that exists within the brethren of Christ. John 13, Jesus says, my disciples will wash one another's feet. That one's one of the famous ones. So we'd start storing basins in the back. Why not? As we understand that was a cultural concept. 
That was one of the first things you did when you came into somebody's home. This was a way of service. And so we grasp, it's, we can set aside the cultural concept and put forward the principle, you serve one another. You get down on your hands and knees and do whatever you need to do to be able to serve the other person. We understand those kinds of things. And so that's what I want us to get here is that these kinds of cultural references are commonly used to teach godly principles. And that is very much what's going on here in using these cultural concepts to teach what the godly principle is. The godly principle is God has made a created order. He has made and designed for there to be particular gender distinction and gender roles. That's the principle. How that plays out in culture is very important so that as we live, what we do in our lives constantly reflects that created order and that distinction between men and women and the proper roles that we play in Christ. That's what we're navigating through in our culture, that we, that we do that as well. Let me bring in verse 16 and then I'll wrap up, up the lesson. Verse 16 The New American Standard reads, If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. And I think that's the right way to understand. I think that's a cleaner reading to help communicate the idea. Is that the whole point that the Apostle Paul is making is that this idea of maintaining gender roles and the created order and maintaining those distinctions, that goes on everywhere. That goes on in all the churches. This is not unique to Corinth. This is the principle that God has given. The ESV reads this way. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Don't read that verse to be saying, after I just taught you in the last 14 verses about all of this, but if you don't like it, don't worry about it. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And sometimes that's how that's read. Well, you know, if anyone's contentious... Well, you know, we have no practice, so neither does anybody else, so you do what you want to do. When have the Scriptures ever done that? Given you a paragraph about a command and then said, but if you don't like it, that's okay. Now, the whole idea is to say that how the Corinthians were handling their gender roles and their authority in Christ is not how that's practiced among any of the other churches. What you're doing... We have no such practice. What you guys are doing is your answer because of what you think you have as rights and praying and prophesying. We have no such practice. And so either way you have the text, the whole point is what the Corinthians are doing is an anomaly. And that's why he's coming to them and saying, as verse 2 says, I commend you about the things you're doing that is right. But I've got these two things. The Lord's Supper, you're not doing it wrong. And your understanding of the proper roles that you play in Christ is also misunderstood. Okay. Now let me sum all this together and and, and try to do my best to bring this to a close. If we take all that information then and try to synthesize it into something simple to take away, let's, let's work it with this way. Number one. The principle Paul reminds these Corinthians of, it is the created order that God gave. This is a created order that men and women, and they are distinct, and that is according to God's plan. I I think we should have to step on that for a minute because of where our society is. Our society is trying to eliminate gender distinction. There is no men, there are no women. We're just not going to be he and she, we're going to be Z. And we've got all of these blurrings that are going on. 
That's not God's design. That's not what God wants. Very important that we see that in our culture today. What we have in our culture is a rebelling against God's created design of the distinction of men and women, the roles given to men and women, and the design that's given to them. That's at the heart of what this paragraph is all about. And the point here is that even though God gave authority for these women to do these various things, doesn't mean that you get to overthrow the created order or the roles that you have. That seems to be the issue here is, all right, you're praying and prophesying. Wonderful. But that you don't get to overthrow everything that God has created in terms of it is God, the father, then Christ, then man, then woman. That does not get overthrown. It doesn't matter that God said you could prophesy. The created order stays intact. And so that's what is the first principle, the first concept that is being laid out by the Apostle Paul is that this order, this design, these roles, these distinctions, they must be maintained. And it is so important that it is stated three times. Three times in that paragraph, he goes back to that created order. He basically pulls back to Genesis and says, this is the way it has to stay because this is the way God created those things to be. There's no inferiority to it. It's just the way God made it to be. Number two. The issue then seems to be the Corinthians were breaking these gender roles when they were using this miraculous gift of prophecy and prayer in public places. And that seems to be the particular issue that's really at stake here when we read this and we put all those pieces together. Though they possessed these gifts, they were not to be allowed to cast these things off in a way so that they would no longer be distinguished from culture. And I think the, the way to put that in our language for us today in 21st century Americas, we are supposed to display those gender roles regardless of the freedom that we have in Christ. Men are to be men and women are to be women. We're supposed to display those roles and we're supposed to display that's who we are and that's the created role that God gave us. And for all the freedoms that our country may give us and all the freedoms that we do possess in Christ, this is the order that God gave and we're supposed to maintain that order. That's how God made for this to be. I think I'm going to hit this and you can hate me later and kill me on Wednesday night, but I think it's important to state this. The whole point is, it seems to be, men are supposed to look and behave like men and women are supposed to look and behave like women and they're both supposed to reflect their proper roles. That's the whole issue right there. That's the whole of the issue. Is that men are doing what was not common to that culture and distinguishing themselves in an improper way and women were not doing what was common to that culture and, and, and distinguishing themselves also in an improper way. They are casting off those roles. We don't get to do that. Not by our dress, not by our attitude, not by our behavior. This is what we have been given by God. And he uses the Father and the Son as an example to to give us that. We are supposed to then fall within that created order. Number three. The head covering was not for women who were not praying or prophesying. I can't underline that enough. That's what the text says. It is not then for the assembly either, because that would violate what the Apostle Paul is going to say in chapter 14. The head covering was intended for the women who were praying and prophesying there, leading in prophecy there, leading in prayer, and they are not doing it in the assembly because that would have been a violation of what Paul says they can do. So they are using their gift in public. 
out outside of the assembly. And it's only in regards to prayer and prophecy. It's not in regards to anything else. It's not in regards to singing. It doesn't say singing. It's not in regards to taking the Lord's Supper. It's not in regards to hearing a sermon. It's not in regards to what is the worship hour or any of those kinds of things. It was about using the gift in public amongst other people where now you no longer distinguished yourself as a man or woman using these gifts. Number four, women were to use these gifts given by God, but maintain their proper place, though given authority. I would like to say a lot about that. I I, I don't have time. I would really like to say a lot about that. I, I, I hate historically, I'll say this, I hate historically what has happened. Is that in an effort, it seems, to try to maintain proper order and proper roles that we understand God gave and that we understand, like in 1 Timothy 2, about uh, women are not to usurp authority or take authority or teach them to have authority over a man. What we have done is relegated women and said, well, that means they can't do anything. As if we're like going to put this big hedge up. What Paul is doing is saying... God gave you gifts. Use your gifts. Do your work. But maintain the proper order. Don't overthrow the created order that God gave. There's no reason that that can't happen. (laughs) I always use the family aspect all the time. If my wife goes to the store and makes decisions, is she usurping authority and now ruling the place? And you know, no. It's all within the proper orders that's given. We can do that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He uses angels as an example of that. You can maintain your proper place, maintain your proper position, do things properly while at the same time using the authority given to you to do the work that God has given. Number five, then all the more. In our culture, we need to uphold gender roles and gender distinction that God gave because it is under attack today. All the more, it is of the utmost importance that we express to people, God made you a man or he made you a woman. And with that becomes great blessings. They are distinct in roles. You are distinct in physical characteristics, emotional characteristics, all kinds of different characteristics. And it's a wonderful blessing of God that God made us to not be exactly the same but to complement one another, to be able to work together in God's created order. God did this by design. God created us to be this way. And we should not try to nullify who we are as men or who we are as women. God made you as a woman or made you as a man, and those attributes that make you distinct ought to be elevated, not suppressed. And that's the way God made it for us. All right. Now you can go home and do your homework on that one. Like I said, that is a very tough text. And I hope that you will take, as you study it for yourself, that one big question that I kept putting up there. What does God's created order and this design and gender roles and gender distinction that he discusses in verse 3, what does that do with the head covering in verses 4 and 5? Those two have to come together for an answer because that's what the Apostle Paul is using as the principle by which he makes these arguments about how they're supposed to behave there in the city of Corinth. We'll take your questions Wednesday night. So we're going to sing a song now, and we invite you to come to Jesus Christ. If you know what you need to do, that you've been thinking about serving your Lord and Savior, and you're ready to come to Him with all of your heart, to turn away from your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. 
We strongly encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity tonight before it's too late. Won't you come now while we stand?